So I want to take you back to the Martin Luther King Jr. weekend this year. We were in Knoxville, and if you remember, that weekend we had been plagued with storms all around us. Right before we went to church, my wife showed me a picture of Knoxville in the midst of all of those storms. And I want to share it with you because if you look at it, you see all of the storms swirling around us. But in the middle of our community, there was a respite. There was peace. And as I looked at that picture, I started to think to myself, isn't this a really good symbol of what life feels like for me right now? Things that are raging all around us, whether it be at work, whether it be in our politics, whether it be internationally in foreign affairs, it seems like all around us, storms are swirling. And when I look at this picture, though, I just say to myself, I want to be in the center of respite. I want to be in the center of peace. And that is the genesis of this study that we're going to get into. But it's not just a study about peace. This is going to be a study about the Prince of Peace. Because Jesus is the one who can give us that respite, give us that security, and give us the ability to weather life storms. Because guess what? Just like this radar, storms are going to come, storms are going to go, we are going to be in the midst of them. But as we try to find this place where we can rest in the peace of Christ, I pray that we would use it as a way to make sure that each of us is looking to him for that peace that we can ultimately find. So this is going to be a fun study as we go through it. We are going to look at Jesus and all of the ways that he showed how he delivered peace to those that he walked with in the New Testament, but we're also going to look at the deeper lessons for how we can apply it today. And so what I want to do today, though, is to actually start by beginning in the Old Testament with a reminder of where we were on our last study, if you did it with us together. If you remember, in our last study, we looked at Jericho, and we looked at all of the principles for being able to capture our Jericho. And if you think about it, Joshua and the people of Israel did capture Jericho. They captured all of the land around it. And then they went out after they had secured the land. And one of the things that I appreciate most is if you go to Joshua 21, after they had finished all of their conquests, it says in Joshua 21, 43, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. And wouldn't it have been great for the people of Israel if things had just stayed that way? But as you know, it didn't happen. As we go into Judges, we watch this period where Israel's sin causes them to suffer lots of consequences. And then we get to a point where the people of Israel want a king, so they're given Saul. Saul's um, reign is filled with violence. It's filled with his pursuit of David. And then finally, God puts the man after his own heart, right? David in the throne. And when I read David's life, though, it's the same thing. It's just a series of storms, right? Peace at times, storms at times. Peace at times, storms at times. And this is just like us, right? We experience that pattern all of the time. And so what I want to do today before we get into the New Testament is to look at 2 Samuel 24, where David was faced with another one of these storms and look at the way he handled it as a way for us to recognize what we don't want to do 
when we find storms and we seek that peace. So we're going to get into 2 Samuel 24 to be able to do that. But before we begin, let's just pray together. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for this chance to get together and reflect on our desire for peace. <laughs> sometimes it's internal peace, sometimes it's national peace, sometimes it is just in our families, making sure that there is a sense of calm and of security. But Lord, as we think about all of the things that get in the way of peace, I am just so grateful that you are the confident, sure um, source of that peace. You are our Prince of Peace. And so God, as we start this study today, I just pray that you would help us to reflect on all of the ways that you show us that we can find that peace in you. And I pray, God, that you would have our hearts attuned and opened to the lessons that we need to learn, to the ways that we need to be more obedient to you. Father, to the people that can help us as we think about finding that peace. And Lord, also that you would remind us of the people that we need to bring to you so that they can enjoy that same peace as well. So bless our conversations, bless our time as we get into this study. And Father, I just pray that you will use it as a way for us to draw nearer to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we talked a little bit about all that had led up until David's point where we're going to join him in 2 Samuel 24. But one of the things that's interesting is as we get into this story where David suffered a storm of his own, we don't know too many details about the actual source of the storm. And so if we go to 2 Samuel 24.1, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So when we start this story and we find David in it, um, we don't know if there was an issue that had been brewing militarily. We don't know if there was another coup going on in the palace. There seemed to be a lot of those at that time. The Bible doesn't tell us about the specific storm that David was facing. But what we see is that the Lord's anger was burning against Israel. And it says, and he incited David against them. And one of the things that's, that's interesting to me is there's a lot of commentary in the Bible about he. And there is some commentary um, that comes out of the Bible that says that H, lowercase h, was referring to Satan inciting David to do that what we're going to see next. Um, and then others say that it was God who gave David a test or a challenge. And you know, what's interesting to me in the Bible is we see different examples of this, right? We see the storms in Job's life as a direct result of Satan going to God and asking for the ability for him to test. There are other stories throughout the Bible where God specifically puts a test in people's lives. So as we think about peace and as we think about the storms, I don't want us to focus so much on the source of that storm rather than how we work our way through it by clinging to Jesus, so what's interesting to me is no matter where that source comes from, um, I just want to begin our study by asking you directly, we don't know what the storm was that David was facing, but what's the storm that you're facing in your life right now? What's the area of your life where you desperately need peace? What's swirling around you right now? Is it something in your business? Is it something in your finances? Is it something in your home? Is it a relationship with someone? But I hope that as we go through this study that we can be very specific about the storms that either God is testing us with or that he's allowed to happen in our lives and pinpoint that as a way for us to think about how we can see God work through it as we go to him as the source of our peace. So no matter what that storm is, 
I want to also ask you, have you spent more of your time thinking about why am I experiencing this storm than what is God trying to teach me as a part of it? You know, we could spend a lot of this study talking about what the source of David's storms were, but what I find as we go deeper into 2 Samuel 24 is it is the action that David takes as a part of that storm where we get the most learning. So I just want to ask you, are you thinking about that particular storm and then spending all of your time blaming someone else, blaming God, blaming another person? Or are you using it to say, God, what can I learn about you as I run to you for peace and for resolution in the storm? So David was faced with that same challenge. He was incited to act. He was incited to go and take a census of Israel and Judah. But what I love about this is then we, got, we start to see how he acted and what he did as a way to model for us what not to do becomes apparently clear in verse 2. It says, So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. So David decides to act on this incitement of going to take a census he goes to Joab and he tells Joab to go out and get the census done. What's interesting to me about this is it just reminds me how I often do the same thing that David did, which is to say that in the midst of my storms, I want to cling on to the facts. I want to cling on to what I know is true. So I want to look at my 401k. I want to look at my bank balance. I want to look at my org chart in my business. I want to make sure that I've got everything in place to be able to weather the storm. But what happens is when we start to find ourselves doing that is we often focus more on the facts than we do on our simple reliance and trust in God to be able to deliver us. So when I spend all of my time pulling up statements talking to others about making sure that I've got the plans in place to be able to get through whatever I'm facing. And I don't spend the time on my knees asking God where I need to go to be able to deal with the issue, how I can lean on the past provision that he has given me as a promise that I can cling to. When I try to find those earthly facts, those earthly statements to find my security and my surety, I miss out on the chance to be able to really learn what God would have me to do, to learn on, to lean on him in a way that allows us to be able to see his surety and his deliverance. And so I just want to ask you, when you're faced with a storm in your life, where do you get your confidence? Do you get your confidence on external things? Do you get your confidence in things that are earthly? Or do you get your confidence by relying on God? David decided that he was going to get his confidence in a census. He decided that he would be able to feel sure about what he needed to do in the midst of the storm he was facing by knowing how many fighting men he had available to him. Well, Joab knew that this was a problem. And Joab is an interesting character throughout David's life. Sometimes Joab gives good counsel. Sometimes he's off doing crazy things. So it's worth some time just getting in your Bible and looking at how uh, the counselors who are around David kind of lived their lives. But this time Joab was right. And if we look in verse three, it says, but Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of my Lord, the king see it. 
But why does my Lord the King want to do such a thing? He was able to say to David, why do you need to go out and take this census? Why do you need to know this? God will provide for you. And so one of the questions that I want us to ask is not only where do we find our confidence in the midst of our storms, but where do we find our counsel? God puts people in our lives to give us counsel. And when he does that, though, he doesn't give us a direct line where we're going to act on everything that that counsel provides, but he gives us the opportunity to be able to listen to others, their wisdom, their experience, their perspective, and think about how we use that to deal with it in the midst of a storm. Again, I'll use Job as an example, right? In Job's story, he had counsel. The counsel was unwise, but he was given it. Here we have an example through Joab where Joab is giving wise counsel to the king. And so I just want to ask you, when you're in the midst of the storm, do you have a group of people around you who can provide godly wisdom and godly counsel to be able to proceed through it? And so I want to ask you specifically, who are the people that come to mind when you think about those who can provide you the solid, wise counsel that you need? And then let me ask you this, who are some of the people that may not immediately come to mind, but they're on the periphery of your life? They're around you, and you've been able to see them give either counsel to others or they've weighed in at a specific point in your life, but for some reason you've shut them off for being a real counsel to you, a real connection to you. Why did you disqualify them? You know, why did you not lean into their counsel? And are there some people that, in the midst of whatever you're facing right now, you need to pick up the phone and call? You need to contact and say, hey, I need to talk to you about a situation that I'm in because I trust that you can provide a perspective that will be lined up with what God would have me to do. So as we're in the midst of the storm, I think one of the right questions to ask is, where do we get our confidence? When we're in the midst of the storm, I think it's wise to say, who is the counsel that I seek? And who is the counsel that I need to seek as a part of it? But what's interesting here is that because David was pursuing a census for his confidence, and because he didn't listen to wise counsel as a part of what Joab did, he decides to move forward. And when he decides to move forward, the consequences are tragic. In verse 4, it says, The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. And over the next couple of verses, we see how Joab and the men went out and they took the census. They bring all of the numbers back to him. But look what happens once David finally gets the result that should hopefully have given him the confidence to be able to deal with the storm that he was facing. In verse 10, it says that David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. So one of the consequences when we seek to deal with the storms in our own way is a consequence of a hurt conscience. God will speak into our lives and that same conscience-stricken feeling that David had is something that I have felt often, <laughs> that I know what it feels like, and I know that God speaks to us through our conscience. So we deal with guilt in our conscience, but there's also collateral damage when we 
don't listen to the Lord and when we try to deal with the storms in our own way. Look what happens next. In verse 11, it says, Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land? Or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you? Or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. The prophet told David that there would be real collateral damage because of the decision he had made. He gave him a choice. Famine, to be pursued by enemies, or to be hit by a plague. David ultimately chose the plague. And when he did that, it says, as you get down into verse 15, that over 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died because of David's action. So I just want to ask you, when you think about the ways that you've dealt with the storms in your life on your own before, when you've fallen on your own confidence as a way to deal with it, when you haven't listened to the counsel that God puts in your life, what has the collateral damage been? Has it been broken relationships? Has it been busted bank accounts? Has it been businesses that um, have really suffered? And when you think back at the consequences of not following through with God's provision and through his promise, has there been a collateral damage that hasn't only extended to you, but it's extended to others, just like it did to the 70,000 people in Israel? You see, I think there are real consequences in our lives when we don't cling to God as the source of our provision in the storms that we're in. And our obedience to him and our obedience to what he would have us to do in the midst of these storms um, can not only be a source of blessing, but when we don't listen to him, when we don't follow through with obedience, there's collateral damage that can follow. So David gives us this really interesting picture of what not to do when we're in the storms. But you know what I love most about the Bible is that it is so consistent about always making sure that we get to see that when we find ourselves in sin, when we find ourselves doing something we're not supposed to do, God always gives us the picture and the promise of redemption. Because when we look at the rest of verse of chapter 24, it says in verse 18 that after the plague had passed on, on that day, God went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And what we see is that David goes to this threshing floor. He buys the threshing floor and he uses that as a place of sacrifice to meet with God. And if you know your Bible, one of the things that's really interesting is the site of this threshing floor is believed to be the same place where Abraham brought Isaac during the test of whether he would sacrifice Isaac or not. And that picture of Isaac being the sacrificial lamb that um, God then substituted by bringing in another animal to be sacrificed rather than Isaac gives us a perfect picture of the fact that Jesus was sacrificed for us as a way for us to be able to deal with the sin in our lives. So in the same way that David went to the altar at the threshing floor, we can go to the altar And we can claim the sacrifice of Jesus as the way to cover up all of the sin that we find ourselves in when we try to deal with the storms of life on our own. And it really does become the perfect picture for the rest of our study because we can't 
survive storms on our own. We have to find another person to be able to cling to if we're going to be able to get through it. And just as David found himself at the altar, just as Abraham realized that he needed to have another sacrificial animal to take the place of Isaac, just as Jesus took the sacrifice for us, we can hold on to Jesus as the source of our Prince of Peace. And this isn't something that we just have to kind of intellectualize or come up on our own. It's clear. Because when we go to Isaiah 9, and this becomes really the anchor for all of our study together as we go through it. As we go to Isaiah 9, look what happens. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And what I love about this is I had always you know, been able to rattle off all of the names of God that we saw in Isaiah 9 when we think about you know, the, the things that we celebrate at Christmas, right? That Jesus would be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, our prince of peace. But what's so interesting is then when we go into verse 7, it's just this reminder that that same prince of peace will reign on David's throne forever. And so that same picture of David who dealt with storms in his life and often failed because he did, what, did it on his own, that same David who though found himself on the threshing floor going to the altar seeking repentance from God, it's that same David who sat on the throne that we can learn from to claim the Prince of Peace in our own lives. And so I just want to ask you as we get ready to go through this study together, are you willing to put Jesus on the throne as your Prince of Peace? Are you willing to say that the same Jesus who descended from David, who is the Prince of Peace in our lives, can be the one who can be our counselor, he can be our guide, he can be our confidence, he can be the one who shepherds us and navigates us through the storms so that we can find ourselves in that place of peace. That is my hope. So as we work through this together and you go into your discussion time together, be specific. What are the storms raging all around you? What are the things that... God is impressing on your life right now that just feels like you're in a hopeless place or in a place where um, he's got you drifting and blowing about in the storm. How do you, though, find yourself in the center of his peace? How do you put your confidence in him? How do you seek out counsel that will give you godly, wise wisdom for what to do? How do you realize that if you don't do this, there's collateral damage that could affect not only you, but the people around you? And how can you do this in a way where you not only go through these periods of rest, because we're not going to live our lives where we're always in this period of rest. The storms are going to come and the storms are going to go. But the challenge that we find ourselves in is that when we are able to go to the Prince of Peace, he will always bring us back to that place where we can rest with surety and with confidence in his provision and his love for us. Let's run to the Prince of Peace. Our Prince of Peace.